When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. That's it. That's a wrap. The 2020 21 Premier League season is over, bringing to an end the strangest and what has felt like the longest football season in history. In a season that started with major, major uncertainty, we've ended with some real positivity, fans back in stadiums and some absolutely iconic moments to remember from the last 12 months. And here on the final show of the season, the Football Social Daily team is taking you through every major story from what's been a thrilling final day to the campaign. The race for Europe, that's where we get ourselves kicked off in part one as it was heartbreak for FA Cup winners Leicester. They dropped out of the top four with Liverpool and Chelsea edging them in the race for the Champions League. The Foxes now drop themselves down into the Europa League. They join West Ham next season in Europe's B competition and it's Tottenham who are heading off into the great unknown in what is definitely Europe's C competition, the Europa Conference League, whatever that will be. And then in part two, let's face it, it's all about one man, Sergio Aguero. The Argentinian has signed off from English football with two goals as Manchester City absolutely battered Everton 5-0 on what was an emotional final day at the Etihad Stadium. Plus, we're going to be looking back at some eye-catching final day wins for Newcastle, Arsenal and Leeds. So an absolute truckload of things to get through on tonight's show. My name's Fergal Brennan, and joining me, we have the Stretford Paddock's finest, Jay Motti. Jay, how are you feeling? Um, I'm good, man. I'm just basking in the glory of uh, an, un- an un- undefeated away record this season, which for me is as good as winning the league. if if, if, if not a bit better do you know what get that trademark get that sentence trademarked Uh, and we also have Manchester United fan and freelance broadcast journalist Matt Cunningham joining us Matt are you as confident as Jay as a United fan at the end of the season I I echo his thoughts entirely Uh, unbeaten away record for a season is much better than a league title I think Right, exactly. that just that, I think that just shows how polite Matt is that he refuses to disagree <laughs> with uh, with Jay's wild, wild statement. Right, big game down at the King Power Stadium. Ultimately, as I said at the start, heartbreak for Leicester. Matt, we're going to go to you first on this. 
Ahead of the final day, there was two spots still up for grabs in the top four. Liverpool, Chelsea and Leicester all vying to get themselves into the Champions League. And unfortunately, it's the Foxes who've come up short. Jamie Vardy, as expected when Leicester needed him, stood up to be counted. Two goals, two penalties to keep Leicester in the game. But ultimately, it just wasn't enough. Harry Kane, two for Gareth Bale and an absolute horror show from Kasper Schmeichel means that Brendan Rodgers will be in the Europa League next season. You look at the situation, Matt, on the final day and there's always so much pressure and you're running around trying to keep an eye on all the different results. And, and naturally, the Leicester players will have had things filtering through to them about what was going on with their rivals. But ultimately, you just get the sense that in the last month, maybe the last two months, they've taken their eye off the ball in the Premier League. Yeah, well, well here's the thing. Is I find it hard to criticise Leicester. I don't know if it's because... They are part of that, that, that top six, really, but we don't, I don't see them in that way. They're not part of the, the big six, for instance. So I find it hard to criticise them, but they really have bottled it, if you think about it, massively. I, I read just after the game, they spent 242 days in the top four this season. And they're a the team that have missed out. They, they were the ones that I most wanted to get in the top four. I think it was the most interesting story um, between them and West Ham. I, that's, what, that's what I was rooting for. But I think they have bottled it massively. There is... They don't have the same budget as Chelsea or Liverpool by any means, but when you look at how poor Liverpool were, at, were for stretches of the season, to still finish behind Liverpool and Leicester have been... Had, there was an air of consistency about them for the majority of the season, but as you say, the last month, maybe two months, they've, they've just slipped. I think one win in their last five in the league is... It's never going to get you the job done in the Premier League if you want to finish in the top four because there's so much competition for those places. So I'm torn between... It's tough to criticise them because they over-exceed, in my opinion, every year anyway. But then if you do 242 days, it's nearly the entire season. I don't know how long a season is in days, but you're budgeting on the entire season and miss out on the last day. Similarly to last season, um, when United beat them on the last day. I mean, that, that, that's bottling it really, isn't it? So, I, I mean, I'm 6-1 after the um, Jay, when you look at the situation with Leicester, as Matt rightly says, you look at the amount of time that they've spent in the top four, not just this season, but it's deja, deja vu from last season when United edged them out on the final day. And supporters, they'll be frustrated. We, we chatted about this after they won the FA Cup in this idea of are Leicester big enough as a team or as a club to, to have the best of both worlds? Because in reality, they should be pairing that FA Cup win with a top four place. They deserve it, in, in quotes, more than Liverpool and Chelsea. Liverpool haven't been great for the majority of this season. They've clicked into a bit of end-of-season form. And Chelsea have been much better under Thomas Tuchel. But in reality, in the, in the build-up to the Champions League final, they've not been great. But Leicester have had chances to just sign it off, just get the box ticked and they haven't been able to do it. And the Premier League is absolutely cutthroat. And as Matt said, it's difficult to have sympathy for them when everybody could see what was going to happen if they didn't get it done. Yeah, I mean, it, it is weird. And I think it, it goes down. So Leicester have sort of, they've always had a, a, a sort of a smallish pool of players that they can rely on, but a, a high quality pool of players. I mean, if you go back to the, the title win, when they won the title in 2016, was it, they had... You know, they they basically had 12 players, 12 or 13 players that they used, and that was it. And yet they kept injury free. They didn't have any distractions in Europe or anything, and they were able to do it. Last season, when they started picking up these injuries, it affected them. They weren't able to cope. I think they had one or two players that were out. I think losing Madison was a big loss for them, and they just couldn't cope. And they just, I think, they lost something like four of the last ten games, whatever it was, and including that obviously the final day. This season, I don't think necessarily it's mainly injuries. I think it might just be the games catching up with them. Because obviously they had the, the FA Cup run and the FA Cup final, and then 
they've gone into this sort of this last few games as well haven't quite looked themselves they've got a, a couple of good results I mean obviously they, they, they beat us at Old Trafford uh, beat United at Old Trafford but the, yeah, the, they've, again they've tailed off and I feel like it's that thing of not having that, that squad and if one or two players are injured and I know they've had injuries this season lost Harvey Barnes of course who was, um, was a great player for them lost James Justin as well um, who was playing really well um, but it just feels like when you take one or two players out when the games catch up with you they are over-relying on certain players and if those players don't step up then they haven't got the squad that you know uh, some of the other clubs have even like a Liverpool have Liverpool have got obviously they don't like to talk about it, Liverpool but they've had some injuries but they have got a, a, a squad to, to call upon and those squad players and, then, and the rest of the players that have come back from injury and all the rest of it have, have stepped up this, at the end of the season. Leicester don't have that and it's just those fine margins and it is heartbreaking and maybe come, some people look in and go, is it Brendan Rodgers? He has these end of season problems where his teams always in the Premier League seem to sort of have a little bit of a mini collapse. I'm not so sure, but I just think they haven't, just haven't got the squad when the games catch up with them, when injuries catch up with them, they can cope with it. Uh, looking at Spurs, Matt, in terms of how they're going to end up at the end of the season, and, and they've got this seventh place, and it could potentially be a bit of a poison chalice because we don't know how this new Europa Conference League is going to pan out, whether it will be a success, whether it will be a route into the Europa League and the Champions League for some of the teams that are going to go into it. But from a Premier League perspective, it's become a bit of a laughing stock, and a lot of teams have thrown it around amongst themselves in the last few weeks. I know as an Arsenal fan, I didn't want Arsenal to be in it, and I'm actually delighted that Tottenham have ended up in it but they will phrase this as a positive because all the negativity about Jose Mourinho and then eventually him leaving the club the season has ended on a bit of a high Ryan Mason's got a bit of positivity back into them and Gareth Bale two goals in the final game of the season has finally shown what Tottenham brought him back to the club for yeah well, well I mean with regards to this 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 European Conference, the third tier of European football. Really, I don't. I agree with you. I think they'd have wanted to avoid it. Really, having said that, they played really well against Leicester. It's a, it's a good win, so maybe not. But it, it's an unusual one. I can't see Spurs being particularly excited about about being in that competition. It's not. We don't. Well, we don't know what to expect, I suppose. But what's the level of, of, of quality and competition going to be in a tournament like that? The Europa League is already already sort of dwindling in quality, in my opinion. Um, so the third tier, I don't have much hopes for that. Um, it just looks like more games for them to play, which will affect them next season. I think their season as a whole finished seventh is poor by Spurs' standards, but it's the Mourinho effect. If, when, when the wheels start to fall off with Jose, that tends to be how things go. You know, it's, it starts to get pretty bad pretty quickly, and it's, it's really the pattern of his career. So, as you said, Ryan Mason came in at the end, didn't have a great record, you know, won some, lost some, but it felt a bit more positive, and I'm happy for Ryan Mason that he's. He's got himself into a managerial position and, and he's starting his career in that sense. Um, so Spurs, I think they've had, they've had a poor season by all accounts, probably the worst in a long time. And I'm not sure they'll be thrilled about this competition either. Uh, moving on to Liverpool, Jay, they've clinched third place on the final day. And when, again, we look at this idea of evaluating seasons and progress and how things have happened. And obviously you do like a bit of needle with Liverpool and the injuries or the injuries that they haven't mentioned, should we say. But given where Liverpool were at the turn of 2021 and then that dreadful run at Anfield where they just couldn't win a game, it looked as if they were going to drop out of the European question completely, let alone the Champions League. But they've got it together in the last month and five wins in a row has seen them into the Champions League and actually leapfrog Chelsea. So, again, we talk about this idea of, of positive ends to the season. Liverpool, considering where they were in February, where it looked as if they were going to have one of the worst ever title defences, have ended the season well and be nice no listen even I can't 
you know, change the narrative here. They have ended the season well and it looked at one point like they had pretty much no chance of getting into the Champions League. So to finish third in that context is very impressive. The sort of the reason I, I as a United fan, I've, I've taken the mickey somewhat slightly out of Liverpool is because this time last year we were hearing how this was the greatest ever Premier League team and how this Premier League team was going to retain the title easily and conquer Europe again and all this other sort of nonsense. And then they spent most of the season sort of kicking around eighth and ninth in the table or whatever. But towards the end of the season, they've done what they needed to do and they've still got quality. If you look at that team that faced Crystal Palace today, you know, they've got quality all over the, that sort of front six. He's a very strong sort of front six. Um, I think they will miss Wijnaldum. I know he's, he's on his way out. Um, he's going. But like I said earlier, I was taking the mick a little bit. But they have obviously got these players to come back from injury. Virgil van Dijk's going to make a massive difference. And if I'm being honest, one of the things that irks me the most about Liverpool getting into the Champions League is the fact that when they're in it, you always feel like they've got a chance in that competition. So that's why I'd rather they weren't in it, to be honest with you. But yeah, they've, they've completely turned it around. They've had a, a great run. Um, and it really pains me to say that, but yeah, they're in back in the Champions League and hopefully they won't do any damage in it. Um, obviously, as Jay said, Matt signed off the season with a 2-0 win at home to Crystal Palace, two goals for Sadio Mane, who's had a fairly mixed campaign. Mo Salah has still been solid in terms of getting goals. He's got over 20 again for the fourth straight season for Liverpool, but you do get the sense that on the back of winning the league and then this season really falling way short of expectations, that Klopp is going to make some sort of a change this summer. Van Dijk and Gomez will obviously come back in following their injuries, but there's this growing idea that Mane, Salah, one of them has to go or will go. Do you think in order to kind of get them back on track, Klopp does need a bit of a shock to the system and maybe that could be getting rid of, of one of his big names? I mean, maybe. Um, I don't think they'll do anything drastic because as, as, as the narrative is, and it, and it, it is true, injuries ruin their season similarly with Wolves injuries ruin their season truly like you look at the end of the season they, they, they've improved massively they're still the same side they just they just miss some really key players if you lose your two best centre-halves your three best centre-halves really because Matip missed a long period of time as well um, as Gomez and, and Van Dijk they've played every time you look they've got a bunch of kids in the back line it, it's difficult to play especially in the Premier League you've got a lot of good forwards it's, it, it's tough so I don't think they'll do anything too drastic maybe they do maybe they do get rid of one of them because they signed Jota and he did so well um, and they'll trust Klopp with money. He, do, he does do well, he signs good players. Uh, you can't really knock him in that regard. The, the players he brings in, he gets much more out of them than you expect. Like with Jota, he looked like sort of a, a middle-of-the-road type player at Wolves, and he turns up at Liverpool, he couldn't stop scoring. If it wasn't for an injury that kept him out for whatever, two, three months, something like that, he, he would have had plenty of goals this season. So they, maybe they do do something drastic. Maybe Amane or Salah does go if they have their eye on another club or something like that. But I think they'll be most of the same team next season, one or two acquisitions to try and uh, patch up some holes. And then once they get players back from injury, they'll unfortunately um, be the same team and be a, be a good side again next year, most likely. Uh, before we move on to Chelsea, the other team that clinched the Champions League place on the last day, Jay, Crystal Palace obviously defeat at Anfield on the final day of the campaign. Roy Hodgson's last game at the club, he said he's not going to extend his contract. No confirmation yet on, on whether he's going to retire, but massive season ahead for Palace. We've touched on this quite a few times of the fact that Hodgson leaving is a big factor. They've got a long list of players who are who are out of contract. All the ingredients for me seem to be in place for unless they get this absolutely right ahead of next season, they could go down. Yeah, and it's weird. I mean, me and you've spoken about Crystal Palace so many times over the last couple of years and there's, there's been times when I've thought, oh, this is it, you know, when they've had a couple of bad results. 
and I thought I could see him sort of getting sucked into it now and I can see him getting uh, relegated or getting dragged into a relegation dogfight and they're sort of over-reliant on one or two players and, you know, Zaha doesn't turn up in particular, sometimes they'll struggle. And you always felt that the sort of the saving grace there was Roy Hodgson, all his experience, all his sort of tactical announcements, everything he's got there. It's, he's sort of been able to manage that team and manage it really well. I think he does, does, probably doesn't get the credit he deserves because it's easy to look at it and go, where are Crystal Palace? What, are they 14th? Well, that's nothing to shout home about, shout about. But when you look at the resources they've got and the fact that they've always been pretty much safe from relegation, then I think he does probably deserve a little bit of credit. They had some good results, beat us at uh, Old Trafford early in the season, and the second time they've done that in two seasons as well. But I think it's going to be a, a massive task for whoever comes in there. We saw what happened when it was, was it De Boer? The, the last yeah, of, what was it? That was a disaster. Six, six games, yeah, just a complete disaster. If you don't get it right there, it can go horribly wrong very quickly. Um, like you said, they've got players that are out of contract. I do feel that they are over-reliant on one or two players. I think Hodgson got, I think he got the best out of that team. I do. I don't think that many other managers could have got anything better out of it. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. And I think there'll be an element of just hoping from some Crystal Palace fans that, you know, there's just basically three worst teams in the next season. But we'll have to wait and see. Uh, looking at Chelsea, Matt, a little bit of luck in their favour. If the luck wasn't going for Leicester, it was definitely going for Chelsea. They lost 2-1 on a final day away at Aston Villa, but based on the back of Leicester's defeat to Tottenham, that means that Thomas Tuchel's side do clinch a top-four position and they will be playing Champions League football next season. But much like Manchester City, who will we'll get on into the second part of the show, all of their last couple of weeks has been geared towards the Champions League final and striking that balance between not knackering the players and making sure that they're not undercooked is is difficult. Man City haven't found it easy and Chelsea definitely haven't. They've only won once in the last four games in all competitions, obviously lost the FA Cup final against Leicester and they were poor again today. They gave it a bit of a bash in the second half but Aston Villa, let's be realistic about this, a fairly average Premier League team. They had nothing left to play for on the last day of the season and Chelsea, if it had gone the other way for Leicester, could be staring down the barrel of bowing out of the Champions League. Yeah, well, I, th- I think obviously it wasn't their intention, but their priority is also in the back of their mind on, on, on Saturday. And should they, if, let's say they finish fifth, but should they win on Saturday, they'll still be in the Champions League anyway. So there were two routes into it um, for them. I think they've struggled at the end of the season. I think a lot of teams have. And the league sort of got a bit distorted in, ta- in terms of where teams have finished and how close some teams are to other teams. Uh, I mean, if you look at Liverpool and United, I think they finished five points behind United, but for the majority of the season, Manchester United were a far better side. So the league got a bit distorted at the end. I think that's part, partially what happened to Chelsea as well, is that they were probably a top four level side, especially once Tuchel came in. It was a really good appointment um, that saved their season, really. Um, I, think, I think they played really well. They looked like a good side and they deserved to be in the top four on, on, on the basis of the whole season. However, similarly with City, I think similarly with United as well, because they've been sort of secure for a while. And Chelsea, with their focuses on two finals, they've just slipped and their performances have got a bit worse towards the end, dropped a lot of points that they maybe shouldn't have done. Um, lost the FA Cup final, which, I mean, I was happy about. It was nice to see Leicester pick up a trophy. Um, but that, that, I guess, like I say, they're focused on Saturday. They're trying, to, they're trying to beat City on Saturdays. When you're fourth, fifth, third, but you're in a Champions League final, that doesn't really matter. They're not bothered about that, I don't think. If you said to them, well, you can finish fifth place rather than fourth like you did today, but you'll win on Saturday, they'll take that over fourth and, and lose it on Saturday any day. So I think that's that, that's all that, that there is to that. 
I think the key word there, Matt, is deserved. And Jay, when you look at the end of the season, the table generally doesn't lie. 38 games does tend to kind of shake everyone down and, and everyone falls where they're expected to. But Leicester, you look on balance, you know, the stat that Matt said at the start of how few time they've spent outside the top four this season and last season. Leicester deserve to be in the top four, but they're not. Liverpool arguably don't. Chelsea, based on the first half of the season, don't. Do you think the way it's shaken down at the end of the season, which is Liverpool and Chelsea playing there, do they deserve to be in the Champions League? Uh, or, or does it even really matter? Because ultimately football is, is so brutal that if you don't do it right up until the last kick on the last day, you're going to fall short. I think, like, going back to Liverpool, and you know me in Liverpool, I will never give them credit unless I have to. You have to give a team credit, I think, when they're so far off and they need to put together an amazing run and they do it. Because, you know, that's not easy. And it was like, you know, Liverpool came to Old Trafford, what was it, two weeks ago, a week ago? And it looked like they were out of it. It was like, you know, they've got to basically more or less win the next four games. But they did that. Um, Leicester as well. Yes, they've spent lots of time in, in, in the, uh, at the top of the Premier League, uh, in the top, sorry, the top three or four of the Premier League. But that ultimately doesn't mean anything if you finish outside the top four, which is what they've done again. And you think that maybe there'd be an element of learning from that and thinking, OK, you know what happened last season. This is why we have to learn from that. You know, sort of take that into this season and take that into these final sort of stages of the season and make sure we don't let it happen again. And they have done that. And it's like, yes, you can say, oh well, they've been unlucky. And I mentioned earlier they've had injuries or whatever. The games have caught up with them. But ultimately, I know it's a cliche, uh, Fergal. You have to get your cliche bell out. But I don't think the table does lie. And I think if you are in the top four or you're out of the top four, then that's on merit. You know, West Ham basically finished one point behind Leicester. And yet, the sort of the thing with West Ham is you'd say, well, actually, they've done well because no one expected them to get to, to sixth. I think at the beginning of the season, everyone was saying Leicester, uh, West Ham sorry, might be a team that are struggling to, to, to stay up. And yet, they've, they've had a sort of dalliance with the Champions League and comfortably finished in the top six. Um, whereas Leicester, because they started so well, because they were doing so well, because they were in the top. Uh, three or four most of the season it's a different narrative but I think ultimately you end up where you deserve to end up no matter how harsh that may seem Matt would you agree with that Liverpool Chelsea have just kind of shown that little bit of metal at the key time where, where Leicester have fallen short and Leicester didn't lose their top four place because they've lost to Tottenham on the last day they've lost it because of draw against Southampton defeat at home to Newcastle and ultimately if you're not in the running right at the end of it you, you are going to get pushed out and this is a little bit of an almost playground situation where the big boys have come in right at the end and just bullied Leicester out of it yeah yeah I agree well I think I think it comes down to, to having the nerve and, and sort of the confidence and Chelsea are used to being in the top four that's where they, they always are in the top four Leicester not so much it, you know it probably feels like a big deal tensions rise in the dressing room you get a bit anxious a bit nervous okay we've got some big games coming up we've got to you know play United we've got to play in whatever and win a few games it gets difficult um, I don't it sounds, it sounds bizarre to say because I don't know that for a fact of the professional football players, but it does feel like that. Leicester have done that twice in two seasons now. Chelsea have snuck in. Last season it was United that snuck in. So I think it, it, it's just confidence and, and that sort of feeling of belonging. They've got a good squad. Like I said, Tuchel did a really good job when he came in. So from the moment he was appointed, I think I think Lampard never really worked out at Chelsea to me. I, I, didn't, I didn't see the future of the way they were playing it, didn't, it never really felt right it felt like maybe a forced because he's, because he's a club legend and they love him and so on and so forth um, a forced appointment and then Tuchel came in and you saw immediately like, oh, yeah, this looks like a proper team again suddenly 
the big name players that they've got feel like big name players and the starting eleven looks stronger again all of a sudden. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think that's about right. Similarly with Spurs, for instance, they on the brink of winning a trophy, they get to a final. Suddenly, the nerve starts kicking. You start to panic. Oh, I have to sack the manager quick. You've got a manager there who's won plenty of trophies. He's not worried about an FA Cup final. You sack him quickly and appoint Ryan Mason. I said before, I'm happy for Mason, but it doesn't make sense, does it? You sack Mourinho a couple of days before a final to appoint Ryan Mason. It's, it's bizarre. So I think at football at that level, with this kind of money and pressure involved, nerve kicking and, and, and things start falling apart or things start coming together at the final moments. So we now know the top four is finishing as Manchester City champions, Manchester United in second, Liverpool third and Chelsea fourth. Leicester dropped down to fifth, which means they do make the Europa League. Tottenham, as we mentioned, are into the Europa Conference League. That just leaves sixth place. Jay, West Ham, you touched on them a second ago, but in terms of success stories from this season, there's, there's an argument to say that West Ham have had the best season in the Premier League based on expectations because the top four have essentially hit par for where they would expect to be. Leicester, you would expect them to be in and around the, the Europa League race. Tottenham have probably fallen short. Arsenal, Everton have definitely fallen short. But West Ham at the start of the season, with all due respect, will have had designs on mid-table. They've massively exceeded that. And now they're going back into European competition for the first time in a long time. Absolutely. And I think West Ham has been the sort of the real surprise story for me this season. Um, you know, you've mentioned it all there. How many people thought they'd be they'd be six or challenging for the the Champions League place? I mean, they only finish end up finishing what two plates two uh, two points off the Champions League, which a few months ago would have just seemed sort of impossible. Um, so you know to finish six, I think for them comfortably and, and above the likes of Tottenham and, and Arsenal is impressive. And even the likes of you know Everton who were, were flying high at one point. So I think it's been a real sort of success story relative terms for West Ham. You look at someone like Jesse Lingard who has been a revelation at West Ham. He really has. He's just been absolutely on fire. Um, went there with, on the back of what was, as a United fan, I can speak from sort of someone who loves Jesse Lingard, but it was about 18 months of just completely underperforming. His form had fallen off a cliff. He'd gone from an England regular and a United regular to barely making United's bench at times. And it was just sad to see, and I didn't like seeing it as someone who's, who's very fond of him. But he went there in the goals. West Ham have some other good players as well, Suchek I've been impressed with. Obviously, the golden boy Declan Rice as well, um, who everyone's sort of sniffing around. He's had a great season. So it's been a success story. It's been one of those as well, maybe a little bit of a sort of redemption narrative. David Moyes is always someone who's been a sort of laughing stock to um, many people. He's had a good season. Jesse Lingard, maybe many people have given up on him. He's had a good season. Um, it just remains to be seen what happens with West Ham now. Do they get Lingard back? Do they keep hold of Declan Rice? Do they build on this or is next season another one of sort of kicking around in mid-table and, and sort of going back to back to type? Matt, as Jay mentions, it, it is going to be a big summer for West Ham in terms of preparing for the Europa League and some big decisions to be made in the transfer market, both incomings and outgoings. David Moyes will be given a budget to work with, but it won't be the same as the teams around him. Obviously, the top four, Leicester will have more money than him. Whoever is in charge of Tottenham will have more money than him, but... What's the priority for Moyes moving into the summer? Is it bringing in more players or is it holding on to, to a Declan Rice or potentially a Suchek if, if someone comes sniffing around him or Mikhail Antonio could attract attention after what's been a brilliant season for him up front? Uh, it's a, a mixture of both. I, th I think ultimately West Ham aren't going to really decide the future of their players. For someone like Declan Rice, if a top team comes along, he'll probably want to move on because of his age. He wants to play at a big club. It's a big opportunity. It'll be a big transfer fee. Um 
I think he'll just choose to move on, whether that's someone like United, Chelsea, whoever it may be. Uh, however, you can bring in players. So, for instance, Jesse Lingard, as Jay just mentioned, gone had done great. I know you, you had him this season, it won't feel like a, an addition, but if they can get him on a permanent deal, that's a massive, massive thing for West Ham. He's a good player for them, and they've been recruiting quite well as of recent. And I, I, you know, I don't want to mention West Ham without saying how good Moyes has done. If you think about when he took over, uh, was it was it last season? It was like yeah. Christmas last season, wasn't it? Um, and and the, and the club are like just outside of the relegation zone. So the next season, putting them in Europe, you know, as again as Jay said, he's a laughing stock a bit, Moyes, and you know, people take the mick out of him a little bit, but. That's a serious job. And in the middle of that, he had COVID. He was managing on Zoom at one point, you know, and he still managed to do that. So fair play to Moyes. I hope they do manage to recruit well um, in the summer and they don't lose too many players because they've got some talent in there that, that people will have some of that, that, uh, that clubs will have their eyes on, you know, Declan Rice being the main one. Then again, you sell Declan Rice, you get a good fee for him. The, the, the rumoured fees talking about Declan Rice are mad, you know, like 60, 70, 80 million. If you can reinvest that well, um, and keep the pieces around in the same, they might still be able to be there next season. But it's a big ask to go from relegation to where they are this season to then trying to consolidate next season is a big ask. So you just have to wait and see for West Ham. Yeah, I agree. I think however the summer shakes up, it's going to be massive for West Ham. Hopefully they can keep hold of some of their key players and make a real splash in Europe. Right, that's the race for Europe all sorted. We are going to take a quick break here on the Football Social Daily. After the break, we're going to be talking about Mr Aguero. Sergio Aguero has signed off from English football and in true Aguero style, he has done it in brilliant fashion. We're going to be talking about that and all the rest of the final day Premier League action in just a second. Hello and welcome back to the Football Social Daily Premier League final day review special. What a fantastic end to an incredible Premier League season. We've already talked about the race for Europe and we now know who will be playing in the Europa League, Champions League and the Europa Conference League next season. The other big, big, big story from the final day of the season focused on the Etihad Stadium. Sergio Aguero has brought down the curtain on his Premier League career and he's done it in incredible style. Two goals off the bench as City battered Everton 5-0 and Aguero has now become the highest ever Premier League goalscorer for one club. 184 Premier League goals for Manchester City and it seems apt. In fact, it seems perfect that we go to Jay first on this one because whose record did he break, Jay? Do you know what, right? I'm not just saying this. I didn't even know, I didn't even know about this till today. I, I found this out when he broke it, obviously, Wayne Rooney's record. And it was like, oh, he's broke Wayne Rooney's record for the most. Do you expect goals. me to believe this? I, honestly, good, mate. Hold on. The good people listening to the podcast, do you expect them to believe this, Jay? Come on, you're an honest soul. Come on. Listen, I am, I am an honest soul. I take my L's, mate. Believe me, I've taken my medicine when it comes to Manchester City. But I wasn't aware that it was Wayne Rooney had the record for the most Premier League goals for one club. Obviously, he's not got it anymore. Sergio Aguero's got it, but I, I'm not going to get too pent up about the fact that you know a record I didn't even know we had or that Rooney had is now gone. Um, I, I'm sick of the sight of Sergio Aguero. I'm kind of glad to see the back of him. He's obviously given me some horrible moments. Probably the worst moment I've had as a Manchester United fan. 
Um, so yeah, but I have to hold my hands up and say he's a phenomenal player, phenomenal talent. His goal scoring record speaks for itself. Um, and you just can't deny that. And I just, my only hope now is that he doesn't go out on a complete high by lifting the Champions League. Because while I'm no Chelsea fan, it is preferable to, to City winning it because I don't have to see Chelsea fans every day when I'm out in the town. Uh, Matt, Jay has been kind of kind in his praise, shall we say, for Aguero. And obviously, he leaves the Premier League as, as an absolute legend, not just in terms of his goals, but the impact that he's had on this City team that have been so successful, not just under Pep Guardiola, but across the last decade. And when you measure him against Rooney or, or other Premier League strikers, he is in that, in, in that bracket. But I think what's actually quite amazing about him in terms of this moment, he was involved in probably the most iconic Premier League moment. And football rarely gives these fairy tale situations. The Premier League sometimes can be fantastic, but most of the time it's most of the time it's pretty spit and sawdust and just kind of nil nils that we're just forced to watch. But these types of moment moments do inject a bit of magic back into it. Yeah, they, they, yeah, they do, and, and and you know, he goes out to live with as Jay said that record. I was the same. I didn't know until they said it that that was two liars. Yeah, I do. I do actually believe him. I didn't. I didn't know it either that we had that record. Um, and Jay might bite me off for this, but I, I think he goes down as, as as probably the best goal scorer ever in Premier League history. I, I don't know if I, I can find a way to to to, to argue that point is because while yeah, Wayne Rooney's a better footballer and Thierry Henry's a better footballer. His goals to games and goals to minutes ratio and things like that, and the goals that he scores, every type of goal, is I don't think a better goal scorer, a pure goal scorer in Premier League history than Sergio Aguero. Um, as for the, obviously you mentioned that iconic moment, of course, is it, it'll go down in history, he'll be remembered for that as well. Um, yeah, just a, just a, just an unbelievable sign. The 30 million at the time felt like a lot of money when they signed him, and now it feels like peanuts for for a guy of his quality. Um, and, and picks up a record on the final day kind of feels fitting of the kind of player that he was. I've got to I've got to throw him on here. Sorry, sorry, Matt. And I've you've I've been got, digging around Andy, on Wikipedia. Andy, and you found no, the Rooney not, still not, in I don't, front. That's I don't got. need uh, to dig around on Wikipedia to say that Andy Cole needs more respect, man. He's for me <laughs> the greatest goal scorer. He didn't even take penalties, Andy Cole. How many other, how many of the rest of them can say that? I think he's still above Aguero in goals, but no, he, he has. You're right. He has been phenomenal, but yeah. I'm a massive Andy Cole fan, mate. I think he's the one that always he always gets overlooked. Yeah, shout out to Andy Cole. Manchester City legend, Andy Cole. Let's not forget. <laughs> Fair point, yeah. Uh, looking at the Champions League final, Jay, obviously Chelsea, we've touched on, they got a little bit of luck to qualify for the, for the top four. City are in a similar situation where Guardiola's been trying to balance this idea of making sure the players are fresh for the final, but that they're not over-demanded in terms of the Premier League running. And this has a way to wrap up the season. 5-0, they've absolutely blitzed Everton. Um, it's an ideal preparation in the sense of that the confidence will be flowing, but there's also this idea that this was a very end-of-season game. It was almost like a friendly in the second half. And Whilst the Aguero story is great and, and people will kind of bask in that, particularly City fans are, are absolutely delighted for him, but you have to maintain a professional edge. And when there's always this gap between the end of the season and then a big final, it can be difficult to keep the focus right on that. And Guardiola's got a big week ahead of him because he almost needs to shut down the Aguero party on Monday morning and say, guys, we've got the biggest game in the club's history this weekend. Now we need to refocus. Yeah, and I think I don't think he'll have too much drama doing that. To be honest with you, I think that you know the, the players they've got and the fact that this is City's first chance of winning the Champions League, Guardiola's first chance of winning it in what 11 years is it, um, or something like that, 10 years. Um, 
I think they'll be focused. I think they'll, they'll be right at it. And I think the fact it's Chelsea as well will give City a bit of an edge because you're looking at it, you're thinking, OK, this is a team that, yes, they've beaten us a couple of times, but finished well below us in the, in the league table in terms of points. Um, we haven't really got, you know, it's not like you think, look at them and think, oh, we've got a lot to fear here. This isn't a team that you'd say was better than, than, than Manchester City. Manchester City have, you know, have the best 11 out of the two teams. So I think they'll be able to focus them. I think they'll be go about it in a professional way. And I, I think they'll be feeling pretty confident as well because of the reasons I've mentioned. So yeah, whilst you, do, you don't want a party too hard, I don't think they will. I think they'll be like, listen, we need to sort of focus on what we've got to do, get the trophy one, and then we can have a sort of Champions League winning Sergio Aguero departing joint party uh, and I can go and find a cave to hide in somewhere. <laughs> uh, if anyone's got any caves on offer in Manchester, uh, drop Jay a line, drop him an email, Appreciate catch him it. on Twitter. He, uh, he'd be massively grateful. Looking at Everton, Matt, again, another team that's massively underachieved based on the start of the season and their objectives. Carlo Ancelotti gave a really interesting interview last week where he basically said, if there's certain players that don't want to be at Everton Football Club or they're not buying into what I'm trying to do and the direction I'm taking the club in, they can leave. And he actually said they can leave for free. I'm not even interested in getting money for them. And when you look at the situation, yeah, league positions, they finished 10th. That's an improvement on last season, which was 12th. But obviously Ancelotti was only in for, for a portion of that. They don't seem to be moving in the right direction. In fact, they're in danger of going backwards because... Ultimately, Everton's undoing is always their inconsistency. And despite some of the talent they've got in the team and the fact that they've got a regular goal scorer now in Dominic Calvert-Lewin, they always seem to be quite a bit short. Yeah, yeah, they do. Um, I mean, with regards to the sort of... The players can leave for free if they're not in for it. I'm not sure the owner is it. Mishiri, is he called? I'm not sure he's happy with him offering the players away for free. You brave man to argue with Ancelotti. He gives, you, <laughs> yeah. he, gives, he gives you that eyebrow, and you just say, "Yeah, sound." Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a good point, but I, I think Everton great start to the season, but the Premier League is, is a difficult competition. That's why I was, we, you know, we speak so highly of West Ham because West Ham continue to do it. If you ask me, who do I think has got a better squad, Everton or West Ham? I think West, uh, Everton by far, by far, have got a better squad. And again, injuries was a thing for them. They lost quite a few players for a period of time, and the same thing for a lot of teams, I suppose. Um, but to fall off in the way that they did in the second half of the season was really poor and unexpected from from, from a like an Anshawasi team. You know, a manager who he, just he's just got it all. He, you know, he knows what he's doing. Obviously, he, he's been around and won everything. So you don't really expect that kind of collapse to happen under his under his watch. So that's probably why he's so angry. That's probably why he's come out and said players can leave for free. I doubt he means it. He's going to need them next season if he's still there. Um, but yeah, they they fell off in, in in sort of a colossal way at the second half of the season. I think they were more than capable of being in a European position. I think Champions League was always a stretch. Similarly for West Ham, was always a, a stretch when you look at sort of how good some of those top top few sides in the Premier League are and how strong the squads are. It was always a difficult ask. But Europa League or this, this third uh, tier competition was a possibility for Everton, and they've missed out massively with, with sort of a poor end and inconsistencies, like you said. Uh, working our way down the table, eighth place Arsenal. I can say, I don't care what anybody says, sour grapes or whatever, I am delighted with eighth place because I do not and did not want to be playing in the Europa Conference League. I honestly think, based on the way the tournament is being set up, Jay, 
I, I do prefer to be out of Europe. I think Arsenal blew their chances of getting into the actual Europa League a few weeks back and then losing to Villarreal in the, in the semi-final meant there was no backdoor route for them. Signed off with a positive 2-0 win at home to Brighton. But ultimately, the question for Arsenal this summer is... Where do the big changes get made? Arteta is under pressure, could potentially be removed. And there's a lot of players, for me, as an Arsenal fan, with an investment into it, that need to be moved on. Arsenal need major surgery this summer. What are they going to do? Well, again, you know, without sort of stating the obvious, it's how much money have you got to spend? Do you know what I mean? It's like, have they got enough money to do some investment? I mean... There are some sort of positives for Arsenal. Um, the lad who's on, is it, um, sorry, Smith-Rowe, is it? Emile Smith-Rowe, um, yeah. William Smith-Rowe. The lad who's on Newcastle as well, is it? Um, Joe Willock. Joe Willock. You know, these are good young players. Saka's obviously a good young player as well. Um, Pepe looks like he might have started to be the player that they bought um, for all that money. So there's, there's some positives, but... There's also some some question. I think Odegaard's gonna. Is he going to go back to uh, Real Madrid? Is it? I don't think he's going to stick around. No, he's another youngster. But um, I'm not sure what's happening with him. Aubameyang, that's a, a big question mark. What is he? 31 now. Hasn't had a yeah. great season. That's a worry because you always felt this season. Well, you can rely on Aubameyang's goals, and that hasn't been the case. But also they've had this <laughs> sort of decent run towards the end of the season in terms of results where. I think you've won. Is it a five on the spin or whatever it is? Yeah. Um, you've won quite a lot of games, so you can take a positive from that. I just feel like there is a lot of work there to do. I'm not convinced with uh, Granite Zaka. I know he's been there a little while. I think defensively, uh, Gabriel came in. Magalhaes, he was someone that United were linked with. He's been OK. Holding's OK. Chambers is OK. I think Turney's decent. But it's not, a, it's not a sort of a defence that really inspires me. And also Thomas Partey, who I was sort of jealous of when Arsenal got him. I don't think he's torn up any trees at all, to be honest with you. So if they've got money then yes, they've got a sort of nucleus of young players there, like I mentioned, that could help them kick on. But they're going to have to spend... You finish eighth for a reason. You don't finish eighth because you're one of the best teams in the, in the Premier League. You finish eighth because you're not good enough, basically, especially for Arsenal. This isn't like a West Ham or someone going, OK, that's all right. This is, you know, an Arsenal uh, team that won the FA Cup last year and probably had aspirations of at least getting into the, the Champions League conversation this year. So to finish eighth is just not good enough. And they just need investment. I mean, you know, it's that it is that simple. It really is because there's a, a few players there that just aren't up to scratch, and I don't see them carrying Arsenal into the Champions League places next season. So you're gonna have to spend money. And the sort of the, the downside to that is, unless the owners or whoever give you the money, because I know you've had uh, Arsenal have had a lot of issue with the owners. I don't know where it comes from because I don't see any players, the many players where they could sell to bring in that money to reinvest. If that makes sense, I think it's going to be a difficult summer unless the uh, the owners get the checkbook out. Obviously, Matt, as Jay mentions, the Cronkays are going to remain in charge. There's obviously massive protests in the last few weeks over their ownership, but they're not going anywhere, certainly in the short term. And they will be under pressure to, to get the money out, get the checkbook out, as Jay said. But I think the big question comes back to Arteta. Do they believe in him enough to give him money? I'm, I'm not for one second defending the Cronkays because their running of the club has, has created this civil war within, within Arsenal fans. But ultimately, Arteta still looks like they don't have the full backing because they will give him some money. Partey came in last season for a big fee from Atletico Madrid, but based on how poor Arsenal have been this season, that reduces Arteta's stock and his ability to to say to the owners, listen, if you want me to get us where we want to be, I need money. When they can turn around and say, well, yes, but you've massively underachieved. And Arteta could 
be under pressure this summer and he doesn't really seem to be under that much pressure during the season but questions will be asked about his position before we kick a ball next season yeah I, mean, I was just about to ask you the same question to be honest with you as an Arsenal fan I mean for me as an outsider looking into Arsenal they seem like a team that have fallen so far now that it's, it's, it's a long process it's a long long period before you can start comparing them to any of the top sides I don't, I don't see them bouncing back I don't see them making some huge investment that, that sort of propels them massively in one season. Yeah, as, as, as has been said, we won, they won a few, a few games towards the end of the season, then a strong end to the season in what was really uh, sort of a collection of dead rubbers. I, I think that, that their fate was sort of determined and they won a few games, which, you know, it's not bad. They, 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 they did well towards the end, as, as Jay said, five in a row. But for you, as an Arsenal fan, does Arteta get to keep his job? Because to me... I don't. I don't see what what's so special about Titor or why he's any more significant than another man that you can go out and get potentially. For instance, Everton brought in Ancelotti. I think would be much more fitting at Arsenal than Everton, and would be a much better option than uh, Arteta. You know what? It's a good point as well, Matt, because there was this sort of thing that when when Arteta went into to Arsenal, with no proof, people were just saying, well because he's been with Pep, he's actually, you know, one of the reasons for City's success. And you think, well, you don't know that. Do you know what I mean? Like, you don't know that Arteta is a big reason behind that or if he's just, a, a, you know, a, a member of Pep's backroom staff. It doesn't mean you're going to be a successful coach because I've seen that a lot, a uh, manager, sorry, I've seen that a lot at United over the years. We've had, like, the likes of Carlos Quiroz, Brian Kidd, uh, Mickey Phelan, Rennie Merlinstein, um, you know, be assistants of Steve McLaren, go from assistants uh, to Alex Ferguson and a lot of times struggled when they've become their own man. So a lot of people are quick to decide that, oh, because he's been Pep's assistant or a part of his coaching staff, that means he'll, he'll be guaranteed success. And I don't think it's worked out like that because it's just, it is a bit of the great unknown. I think for me, and you've mentioned the word there a number of times, coach, uh, I think Arteta is a very, very good coach. He was a very good coach at City and clearly played a role in, in Guardiola's success. But I still have doubts about him as a manager. And Jay, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. This idea of great coaches, Kiros, McLaren, etc. Without sounding blunt, there's a reason why they're great coaches. There's a reason why maybe they operate so well within that framework because they become masters of that role. And I think time and again, we all fall into this mistake of thinking that a coach, even a first team coach or a head coach, is the same as a manager. They're two fundamentally different jobs. And for me, Arteta is stuck somewhere between that. In a few years' time, he might become an excellent manager, but Arsenal are not in a position to wait for him to, to catch up. That would be that would be my view on him and, and it's quite pessimistic, but I think it's realistic based on his, on his return at the club so far. But moving on uh, to wrap up the top 10, Leeds, Jay, all your greatest hits. We've got Liverpool, we've got Leeds having a strong final day to the season. Another win for Marcelo Bielsa's team to wrap it up for 2020-21. 3-1 at home to West Brom, who are obviously already down and dead and buried. And going back to this idea of objectives at the start of the season Marcelo Bielsa was quite clear just wanted to stay up 17th you know by hook or by crook we just want to stay in the Premier League so by that measurement Leeds have massively overachieved ninth I think in reality he probably had designs on at least a mid-table finish assuming that he stays at the club this summer there's links that he might go elsewhere but he does seem to be very bedded in at Ellen Road how does he manage expectations now because They've finished really, really strongly. They've finished right on the edge of maybe getting into Europe. There'll be a demand now next season to build on this and get them into Europe. But 
he, being the pragmatist that he is, will say, maybe we're not quite ready. Yeah, it's a weird one, Lee, isn't it? Because obviously they are a big club and, and they've just been promoted, but there will be a certain section of that fan base who still believe they should be challenging near the top and maybe that ninth place finish has, has encouraged them to feel like that. Um, but we know how difficult the second season can be in the Premier League. You saw it with Sheffield United this season, who, you know, last season were in a very similar position to Leeds, you know what I mean, sort of mid to top table, um, and then just absolutely fell off a cliff this season. A lot depends on, on obviously, Bielsa. If he stays, I think they've got a fighting chance of challenging next season to, for around the same sort of places, keeping hold of some of the players. I think there's a couple that have uh, been linked with the move. And is it Rafina? I think, has been uh, yeah. has been linked and one or two others as well. So they can keep hold of the players, keep hold of the manager, then they could build on that. But I think you just have to sort of temper your expectations a little bit because it is very difficult in the Premier League. There has been that element of surprise with Leeds, this season, no one expected them to sort of do as well as they've done. They played that expansive football that Bielsa's famous for, and it, you know it's worked for them. And I mean, they concede loads of goals, but they score loads of goals, and it's been this sort of mad, crazy, you know, wonderful adventure. I think next season it will be a little bit more difficult, and they may end up sort of finishing, you know, a little bit lower in the table. But I think if they can consolidate themselves as a Premier League team over the next few years then we'll start to sort of build and try and move up and, and look towards qualifying in Europe, then that's that's pretty decent because it's so easy to sort of come and spend one or two or even three seasons in the Premier League and then drop out and then struggle to get back in. So if they can get themselves back to being a regular or a, you know a consistent Premier League team, then I think that's definite progress and they should be happy with it. Uh, before we drop down into the bottom half of the table, Matt, Manchester United... End of the season with a win, 2-1 away at Wolves, but a much-changed United side as, as Solskjaer looks to rest certain players ahead of the Europa League final against Real next week. The big story from this really is arguably more focused on, on Wolves because Nuno Santo, as we know, has confirmed that he's leaving the club at the end of the season. They're on the hunt for a new manager and he's on the hunt for a new challenge. And this game almost encapsulated Wolves' season where... There was the opportunity to go out and sign off with it with a win and kind of the players give Santo a bit of a show of support against a, a young and inexperienced Manchester United team. And they just limped over the line. And we come back to the same point with Wolves all the time that Jota's exit and Jimenez's his horrible injury has massively impacted them. But ultimately, questions need to start being asked. And do you think the Wolves players have let the manager down? And particularly on the last game of the season, they should be playing hard for them. He's been their most successful manager in the history of the Premier League for them. And they do seem to have let him down. Well, maybe, maybe. I think I think similarly, as we've said already a few times, you lose a lot of key players. It doesn't really matter who the manager is. It becomes difficult to sort of achieve what you're supposed to achieve. You know, you look at Liverpool, fell off massively from last season because of injuries. Everton, we mentioned the same. Wolves, again, the same. So regardless of who the manager is, you know, talking about Klopp and Chilotti, both great managers still couldn't overcome having massive injuries to key players and then missing large parts of the season because that's just football. At the end of the day, there's players on the pitch. It's, it's not it's not Ancelotti, it's not Nuno on the pitch. Um, and I think it, it was just a tough, treacherous season for Wolves is what it feels like to me. Um Every now and then, you, you just sort of hear, oh, another big injury, another ACL, another six-month injury for them. Unfortunately, Jimenez has cracked his skull. Um, they had the scare with the goalkeeper. All these things, it just felt like a difficult season for Wolves, a club that, were a club that overachieved <coughs> regularly, regularly since they came up. You know, this is their worst finish in 13th. But 13th place kind of feels right for Wolves in a weird way, doesn't it? They kind of feel like a mid-table team in the Premier League. Yeah, every season since they came up, 
uh, in 2017, 2018. They finished like sixth, seventh, like really good finishes. So I think it's just um, high expectations and, and it came back down to reality a little bit. Uh, I don't think they let Nuno down. I, I don't think they did. I think they still did quite well. The fans did well for him as well. The fans came in obviously last game of the season, so they were happy to be there. But give him a good send off because he's a really good manager and I, I, do, I do like him a lot. And I like listening to him speak and I think he'll get a good job. Maybe even the Premier League at a club um, a bit higher up in the league table if someone's looking for a manager might look towards Nuno because the job that he's done there, although he does have a lot of good players, is really, really impressive. Uh, looking at United, Jay, we've talked about Aguero's farewell at the Etihad, but there was an absolutely textbook Juan Mata potential farewell in this game. Scored the winner from the penalty spot. Nice, passionate celebration um, in front of the fans. And United have kind of set a deadline of the end of June and whether they're going to give him that one-year extension that his deal currently has. But Mata is a perfect example of a quiet legend at a club. He's obviously was incredible for Chelsea before he joined United. And despite the fact of not hitting the heights of some United absolute Premier League legends, he's massively, massively found himself a, a fan club in the fan base because the way that he carries himself on the field and off the field. And if Mata does leave the club this summer, is that a fitting farewell for him? Yeah, I think so. I think one matter has, has been one of our best sort of post Alex Ferguson signings. I know that <laughs> you could argue there hasn't been a lot of great ones, but you know he, he came in at a difficult time, sort of in the January transfer window under Moyes when we were just sort of really struggling. Got some, got a few goals. He's won a few trophies, um, and he's always been that sort of figure that. A, when he's on it, he's great to watch. He's a real class act, one matter. And also, off the pitch, he's one of those players that, you know, he's always he's always comes across as just a great guy and a good character um, and he's incredibly likeable. And I think now, if you look at it, he's not played a lot of football this season. I think he's played about nine Premier League games or something like that. Um, so, is he going to play any more than that next season? Probably not. He'll probably play fewer. So it probably is a good time for him to move on. And I think he'll be one of those players that will move on and will be highly respected by Manchester United fans. And I also think that he's still got something to offer as well. I think if he went to, to Spain or to Italy, I think he could do a good job there. I really do. I think where the pace perhaps isn't quite as fast as it is in the Premier League. We've seen it with players go from Manchester United, go from Premier League, go to play, you know, clubs like Inter and do, do really well there. So maybe there's a move for him to, to Spain or Italy. Uh, and I wish him well because, listen, I'm not going to moan if one matter signs an extension because I love the guy, but I deep down I think it is time for him to move on because I think a player like him should be playing more than sort of nine league games, whatever it is, a season. Uh, moving on to the final two games of the season, Fulham nil, Newcastle 2, Matt. Obviously, Fulham are already down. Newcastle have saved themselves uh, probably in the last month from getting sucked into a relegation battle. And the key factor in that has been Joe Willock. We touched on him before in, when we were chatting about Arsenal. And he's been incredible for Steve Bruce's side. He's matched Alan Shearer's club record for a seventh successive game with a goal. And obviously, you look at Shearer's record at Newcastle, he's, he's arguably their greatest ever player. Joe Willock is, is not being mentioned in that conversation, but... He is somebody that, if Newcastle can secure a permanent deal for him this summer, there's no guarantee that Arsenal will let him go. That'll be a massive step in the right direction. And you feel now with Steve Bruce that he's kind of been given another chance at Newcastle to build what he's always wanted to build at, at St. James's Park. Yeah, I, I mean, as for the game specifically, it's a bit of a boring one, I'll be honest with you. Dead rubber, Fulham, as you said, down, Newcastle secure. But while we're doing manager talk and, and, and sort of manager review at the end of the season... Steve Bruce got an absolute battering 
this season for long periods of time. I, in fact, I came on this podcast multiple times and he got leathered for long periods of time. And to me, he's got he's got up to 12th place now. Don't get me wrong, I know Newcastle fans are not big fans of him and me saying this isn't going to change that. It's not going to change the reality. He may even still leave at the end of the season because that relationship feels a bit tumultuous. But to then finish 12th, Above Wolves, who we were saying, you know, Wolves are a good side, normally 7th, 8th place, 6th place, so on and so forth. Above Southampton, who started the season really well, we're getting a lot of praise. You know, got him his 12th place. He deserves a bit of credit for that. He really does. They've been nowhere near as bad as, as they were at the start of the season and nowhere near as bad as some of the, the criticism that he got, in my opinion. Um, as for Joe Willock, I mean, we were just talking about Arsenal needing some new players in. What 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 a dream that is for them. He's done so well. He's been he's been unbelievable in the last few games for them, and and, and sort of turned their season around a little bit, nearly single handedly. As you said, scoring seven goals in seven games, an unbelievable thing to do at any club, never mind Newcastle or whatever. Um, so if they can get him, they'll def they definitely will. They definitely should go for it. But I don't know if they can. I think Arsenal will want him back, a player of his quality, and that's that shown what he can do for a young lad as well. I think there's no danger that he goes back to Arsenal then. Well, it's the end of the season, so now. Uh, and the final game, which couldn't be more final game on the podcast and final game of the season, Jay. Sheffield United, rock bottom, 1-0 win over Burnley, who'd been safe for over a month. This, as a game to round up, is obviously not the most exciting, but Sheffield United's focus now is getting themselves back into the Premier League next season. And whether that is... Paul Heckenbottom, who continues as, as manager or they bring in someone to replace him. They've got a, a challenge on their hands. And Rob uh, Rob Blanchett, who comes on the podcast regularly, has been quite firm about Sheffield United. And he said that nobody in that team is good enough to be playing in the Premier League. Nobody will be interested in them. But that as a kind of motivation for Sheffield United to get themselves back in the Premier League will work. I'm not saying they're listening to Rob, but those, <laughs> those, those questions will be will be bounced around about them when they go back to the Championship this summer. And when you look through that squad, do they have Premier League quality or, or is Rob right and they're set for another battle and we might not see them back in the Premier League for some time to come? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I wouldn't look at that, that squad and go, oh, it's full of, of potential or full of stars or full of, you know, players that that give it another season or another two seasons are going to kick on or, uh, you know, a, a sort of underachieving or whatever. It is going to be a struggle for them to, to come back up and there isn't a lot of players that I see there and I think, oh yeah, you know, Fleck or, 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 or McGoldrick, they're stars or whatever, they're good players, but they're not great ones. In a, in a perverse way, that might work in their favour though, because Sheffield United can go down, keep pretty much the same team. I don't see that team getting picked apart. I don't see anyone coming in for, for many of those players and being brutally honest. Um, and then keep that sort of squad of players who have been play, playing in the Premier League now for a couple of seasons, go down to the Championship and maybe use that to sort of bounce back up because you've got that experience, you've been playing at a higher level and you want to get back there. So. It could work in their favour. They haven't had a good season at all. There's no sugarcoating it. They've just been pretty awful. Um, losing as well, getting rid of the manager or whatever went on with the manager there. Um, obviously, was just a strange one and he was an immensely popular figure. Um, whether they're going to keep Hegging Bottom, we'll have to wait and see. But yeah, it, it, I don't expect Sheffield United to come back up, but I wouldn't be surprised if they did, if that makes any sense. And I know that's proper fencing. But... I just think that they're a, you know, a team that has struggled obviously in the Premier League, have shown in the past they can perform in the Premier League and could go into the Championship and sort of, because of that experience, be too strong for the other Championship teams. 
a slight message of positivity to end on and that brings the podcast to a close and also the 2020-21 Premier League season to an end. It's been a fantastic campaign and here at the Football Social Daily we have had an absolute blast. Matt, Jay, thanks so much for your time on the last day. Thank you, no, mate. It's been a it's great coming on here and, and sticking up for Andy Cole. <laughs> the Andy Cole podcast that is uh, something we're going to look into over the summer don't forget we are still here over the summer previewing the start to the new Premier League season as well as covering the European Championships so if you click subscribe you can get a brand new episode when it is ready Jim, Marley and Niall will be back tomorrow to talk about some of the big big stories from the final day and look ahead to what is expected to be a fantastic summer of football as Euro 2020 kicks into gear thanks so much for listening in this season and we'll see you again very very soon with lucky land slots you can get lucky just about anywhere this is your captain speaking uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky no no nothing like that it's just these cash prizes add up quick so i suggest you sit back keep your tray table upright and start getting lucky play for free at luckylandslots.com are you feeling lucky no purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.